babies and our loved ones. And uh, this week I want to talk about that love leads. And so we'll pray and then we'll begin. Father, we just thank you just for a beautiful day, Lord. I thank you for the rain you've given us, Lord. And I thank you that for the sunshine today. I thank you, God, that you love us, that your love chases us, your love leads us, um, your love never fails. And, Lord, we just receive afresh your love tonight for us, and thank you for it. It's love that died for us. It's love that uh, makes our sins white as snow, that removes them. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far you put them from us. They're not attached to us. They're not who we are anymore or ever again. It's you and your love in us. That's who we are. You're, You're the price you paid. Our identity is in you. And so, Father, we thank you tonight as we just just listen to the word and we just ask you to teach us tonight, Lord. We ask you to give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Am I echoey or anything? It sounds a little echoey. Does that sound echoey to y'all a little bit? Maybe just a tad. It's good. It's good to not have to hold that microphone this week. Um. You know, uh, I just love this message. I'm teaching out of a book by Judith Smith called Life Is. And I heard him speak for the first time at a conference we went to at Gateway Church. And some of the things that he spoke that night just set me free of things. You know, I was saved in, I was 26. I was saved in 1980. I know, I'm older than that now. But... You know, we're never, we're, uh, how do I say it? We're in a continual state of being set free. I am. I don't care how long you've walked with God. Uh, he has new freedom every day. His mercies are new every day. And he has new things for us every day. And he's changing and transforming us. He's not mad at us. I forget my baby's here tonight, Sally. I looked over and I'm like, oh, yeah, Sally and Chloe came. And they're not living with us anymore. I know they're sad about that. Uh, <laughs> We can all spread out now. Uh, But, uh, you know, um, we're just ever, ever changing. But God's transforming and he's he's just doing uh, things in us and delivering us and setting us free and healing us and helping us. And it's just so, it's such a beautiful life. Don't you want everybody to just know the beautiful life that God has. It doesn't mean we don't have problems. It doesn't mean that we don't go through things. But we go through them with Jesus. We go through them with the Father's help. <laughs> and uh, and it, it's just so beautiful. And so we're just going to talk about how God's love leads us tonight. And, uh, you know, um, if we believe in God and we believe that he loved us enough to send his son so that we could be forgiven, well then the next logical step is to know that life points, it just points to God. Life is about God. He's the beginning and end of life. It, life points to God. It's our relationship to him that gives our lives significance and solidity. If you can think back to the time before you were saved and remember what your life was like, it's very clear to me what my life was like before Jesus. Some of you may not have ever received him. I, I guess assume that you have, but you may not. Tonight's the night if you haven't. But life before Jesus, my life was a mess. 
And I'm not saying it can't be a mess sometimes, but when you receive him, it gives you significance. It gives you solidity. You know, anybody heard the cliche, it's not how you start, but how you finish, you know? Or another one similar to that is always start with the end in mind. You start something, start with the end in mind. You know, when we die, what do we want to be remembered for? That's the end on this earth. It's the beginning in eternity. But what do we want to be remembered for? Our accomplishments, our achievements? Or do we want to be known as someone who knew Jesus, enjoyed Jesus, was loved by Jesus, and focused on Jesus? What, what do we want? I did see a new thing. Not a new thing. I saw something at the cemetery today. Alan um, officiated a funeral this afternoon. And I saw on one of the headstones and... Uh, I really like this, so Sally, I just want to tell you that I would like this on my headstone <laughs> because, uh, you know, um, my whole life I wanted to be a mother. You know, people have grand, uh, I guess you can say, uh, desires in life. I can remember my whole life just wanting to be a mother. And I'm thankful to God that he gave me three children. But it's on this headstone, uh, it was the Cheatham family. And we know them. We went to school with their children. And, y'all, this, this cemetery is like way out in Tillman. Uh, Bunton, Rhonda knew where it was. Some of y'all may know. It's way out there. I couldn't find it again. Um, but on the back of the headstone, it, you know, it had Cheatham. And, and it said, the parents of, and it named all their children. And I thought that was so precious that they, I've never seen, have y'all seen that before? I've never seen that. So on the back of my, I want to say, the mother and father of Sally and Chad and Patrick, because I just, if you want to list all the grandkids, and depends on it, no, I'm kidding. I've got the whole family tree. But, you know, what do you want your life to say? You know, I can say this, as I wanted to be a mother my whole life, once I was saved, I can tell you the next desire in my life was that my children, my grandchildren, would know God. I didn't care what their um, occupation was in life. I, didn't, I, I wasn't worried about or thinking about that. But the important thing to me to this moment is that they know God and that they walk with him and allow him, his love to leave them, our children, our grandchildren. And that's, you know, for me, that's what's been important. And, um, you know, I think we all want our lives to end where people know that we love Jesus, that we walked with him. You know, because when it's all said and done, what else is there? He's the one that's going to come for us. He's the one that's prepared a place for us, you know, and... uh I believe he'll see, be the first face we see. I don't know. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again for you. Isn't that comforting? Can you not wait to see Jesus? Sometimes I just sit and think about that, and it just I just tell him, I can't wait. I'm not, like, I'm not morbid or anything. I don't mean that. I'm not trying to die. But I am excited about seeing him. I am excited about him coming again. I am excited about the new heaven and the new earth. I am excited about I'm excited about what's going on. But when I think about that, I mean, all of what we live, when our faith becomes sight, y'all, that's exciting. It's exciting now, but that's, wow. I bet 
Well, I don't know what we'll say. We can only imagine, right? <laughs> As the song says. You know, we need to always start with the end in mind if we want to end where we want to. You know, the problem is, though, even though we want to follow Jesus in this way where we focus on him and we follow him and we love him, the truth is that we still get distracted, don't we, by sin, by selfishness, missing the mark. That's what sin is. We miss the mark, the mark that he had for it. We all do it. We all. I don't care who who you are, you know, what your station is in life or, or whatever. You can be Billy Graham. Billy Graham missed it. He would tell you. Whoever you esteem as a, a spiritual leader, everybody misses it at times. And we desire to get to that end, but there's times when we miss it. We can try our best to be faithful to God and, and to do what's right. But we're human and we will fail at times. We all struggle with this. Anyone who's tried to do what is right knows how frustrating it can be at times that we, we mess up. We make promises about how we're going to live for God or we're going to do this, but then we find ourselves failing within the hour. This is going to have a happy ending. I'm not trying to be negative. But it's true. If, you, if, if maybe you think you're the only one, you're not. You're not. So we're going to look at the story in the Bible, an account. I like to say an account because if you say story, people go, was it a story? Like not real? No, it's an account, a historical account in the Bible. Toward the end of Jesus' time on earth, it illustrates how we can make sure that at the end of our lives we'll be where we want to be. And that's close to Jesus. So, in the Gospel of John, we read about what happened at the Last Supper. Everybody knows that account at the Last Supper when Jesus had gathered his twelve disciples together for the final meal. And before he was going to die on the cross. And so, let's look in John chapter 13. We'll just read a little bit of it. Verses 21 through 26. It's where John describes, John's reading, and he describes uh, what happened toward the end of the meal. So John chapter 13, verses 21 through 26. It says, then Jesus was, I'm reading in the Passion Translation. It says, then Jesus was moved deeply in his spirit, looking at his disciples, he announced, I tell you the truth, one of you is about to betray me. Eyeing each other, his disciples puzzled over which one of them it could do such a thing. The disciple that Jesus dearly loved was at the right of him at the table and was leaning his head on Jesus. Peter gestured to this disciple to ask Jesus who it was he was referring to. And then the dearly loved disciple leaned into Jesus' chest and he whispered, Master, who is it? And Jesus answered him. He said, the one I give this piece of bread to after I've dipped it in in the bowl, Jesus replied. And then he dipped the piece of bread into the bowl and handed it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So that's John's account, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> of what happened there at the Last Supper. It's in other, other of the Gospels, but this is John's. And notice in the story... That John, the disciple Jesus dearly, dearly loved, was basically leaning on Jesus while they ate. Didn't that account say? He was leaning on Jesus while they ate. Now today, this would be awkward. If you just ate a meal and you were leaning on someone, you know, you would be invading their personal space. You'd be a little too close. You know, give me some space here. But back then, 
It was a sign of close friendship. They ate at low tables. They reclined on cushions. No one would ever, with anyone today, ever recommend that. No, sit up. You know, your food will go down better. You know, but they're reclining and eating. And so John was leaning on Jesus. And notice also that the disciple Jesus dearly loved was John himself. And he refers to himself this way five times in the book of John. He says it about himself, the disciple that Jesus loved. Don't y'all think that's pretty awesome that John defined himself by Jesus' love? I guess it could sound boastful, like he was bragging, but it wasn't. It was just one, he was just 100% certain of Jesus' love for him. And he would say, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The other disciples probably read his book later, you think. The Gospel of John thought, golly, John, why are you, oh, he loved us all. Why are you referring to yourself like that? He loved every one of us. But you know, John just lived as if he were Jesus' favorite. You need to, too. You need to live as you, because you know what? You are. And John just lived it as if he was Jesus' favorite. I think it's a great way to live. Of all the disciples, though, we see John leaning on Jesus, and then we see Peter. Peter tends to be the disciple that we see that talks the most, do y'all think? <laughs> so let's look in Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through 31. And it says this. It says, Then they sang a psalm and afterwards left for the Mount of Olives. So it's after the Last Supper. They sang a psalm and then they begin to go toward the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them in verse 27, You will all fall away and desert me. And this will fulfill the prophecy of the scripture that says, I will strike down the shepherd and all the sheep will scatter far and wide. And then he goes on to say in verse 28, But after I am risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And then Peter spoke up and he said, Even if all the rest lose their faith and fall away, I will still be beside you, Jesus. And Jesus said, Mark my words, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, a few hours from now you will utterly deny that you that you know me three times. And then verse 31, but Peter was insistent and he replied emphatically, I will absolutely not. Under no circumstances will I ever deny you, even if I have to die with you. And all the others repeated the same thing. You know, Peter declared that if everyone deserted the Lord, he wouldn't. And you know what? He meant it. When he said those words, he meant it. But a few hours later, when Jesus is arrested and taken, all the disciples flee. And Peter denies Jesus, you know, three different times, just as Jesus had said that he would. I want you to remember something, though. When Jesus told Peter, he also said, he said, I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail you. Jesus knew, even before he chose Peter, what he would do. I just love the mercy and love of God. So he knew what he would do. And Jesus meant those words, but he, he didn't do it. So let's look again in John chapter 19. I want to look at the end of this. So we had him sitting at the supper. 
Then we have him walking to the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter saying, I'm never going to deny you. And then we know that he did. And um, now we want to see the end in John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. This is Jesus on the cross. Mary, Jesus' mother, was standing next to his cross, along with Mary's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So when Jesus looked down and saw the disciple he loved standing with her, he said, Mother, look, John will be a son to you. And then he said, John, look, she will be a mother to you. And from that day on, John accepted Mary into his home as one of his own family. So at the end, John is right there at the foot of the cross beside the person whose love meant everything to him. The Bible doesn't tell us where the other disciples were. Uh, There might not have been any of them at the cross at all. The Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say that they were there. It does say John was there. I have to say, I would think the Bible would say that the others were there if they were there. I don't know. can't say. But the Bible does say John was there. You know, Peter, after betraying Jesus for the third time, we read in Luke, and we do read that in Luke chapter 22, that when he remembered what Jesus told him, it says in Luke chapter 22 that he went out and he wept bitterly. And, you know, he was sorry. He was sorry for what he had done. He was sorry. You know, we're sorry when, when we do things that are wrong and then we, we just we feel like we let ourselves down and our families and God, and, and we're sorry. But while Jesus is at the foot of the cross, Peter's out somewhere focused on his failures. If ever Jesus needed loyalty, friendship, it was right now at the cross, wouldn't you think? But Peter, who had sworn his faithfulness to Jesus more than anyone else, is nowhere to be found. It wasn't, what was it about John that led him to be, as far as we know, the only disciple at the foot of the cross. Have you ever thought of it? What, what was it that led John to be there at the cross? What did his start look like? And how did it lead him toward the end that he desired? And what was it about Peter that ended up sabotaging him? After all, both John and Peter loved Jesus and wanted to do what was right. Why is John remembered for being at the cross? And why is Peter remembered for denying Jesus publicly? And when we think back, you know, to the Last Supper, we read that. And Jesus says, remember when he says that someone in the room is going to betray him? And remember we read it, they all begin to look at each other. And John just leans there on Jesus. He doesn't move from that spot. He leans there. He's leaning there on Jesus. And remember Peter, remember what Peter did. He begins to move into motion and to gesture to John to ask Jesus, who is it? Who's going, who who is it? He's probably frantically motioning, pointing, trying to figure out who the bad guy is. He wants to do something. Peter wants to fix things. There's ten other disciples beside Peter and John, including Judas. But, you know, we don't hear as much about them as we do Peter and John. The Bible focuses on their physical postures, 
on the, their reactions of Peter and John. You know, Peter's name means stone. And that's what the Ten Commandments were written on. And John's name means the Lord is gracious. I think God is showing us the contrast between law and grace, law and love, between John and Peter. Peter's active, he's working, he's striving. That's just what happens in life when someone trusts in him or herself. They try to strive to fulfill God's commandments, to do what God wants under their own power. It's a life lived by stone, by law. We work it out and we make it happen. It's about performance. It's about action. That's a life lived under the law. But John, on the other hand, is just leaning on Jesus. He asked Jesus who would betray him, but it was because Peter asked him to ask him to. Peter was trying to rouse John into action. It's a little bit like Mary and Martha, isn't it? Mary, Martha's trying to rouse Mary into action. Lord, don't you care? She's not in here helping me serve. Another <laughs> law and grace, law and love. But John is just leaning on Jesus. And who was at the foot of the cross? John, not Peter. And Jesus loved Peter. But the point is, where do we want to end up? And Peter and John are both in heaven. But where do we want to end? John understood what it meant to love, to live in the love And grace of Jesus. He knew how to rest his head on Jesus' heart. Even when chaos and uncertainty and fear was the order of the day. He knew how to rest in Jesus. He was the disciple Jesus loved. The love of Jesus was his identity. And that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't love the others. It just means that he identified himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus loved them all. He chose them all. But he chose to identify himself in the love of God. The love of Jesus was his identity, his focus, his priority. Love was how he started and love was how he finished his life. It was how he lived it. And love led him to finish well. John didn't rely on his ability, his brain, his strength. His bravery, like Peter did, he didn't seem to think he had to fix everything. I'm I'm trying to learn that myself. (laughs) He knew that true security and strength were found not in frantic human effort, but in resting in Jesus' love. It wasn't just Peter who didn't live live up to his vow to be loyal. The Bible says all of the disciples made the same vow. All of them made the same promise. I read that. Peter voiced it the loudest, but then they all joined in and said, none of us will. And that included John. He promised and he failed also. But there was something about John's relationship with Jesus that went, went deeper than his promises and his performance. It went deeper than that. It was something that enabled him to overcome his failures, to look past his failures, and almost instantly rush back to Jesus' side when it counted the most. It was love that did this. 
And you know, when you read John's writings, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, I would say that it wasn't so much John's love for Jesus that drew him back, but it was Jesus' love for John that drew him. Even in John's weakness and in his failures and in his fears with everything that was going on, the one they followed has just been crucified. He's on the cross. And John was able to return to the foot of the cross because his mind was and his heart was more consumed with Jesus' love for him than with his own love or his lack of love or his lack of loyalty or his lack of being able to perform what he promised. That love of God drew him back to the cross. Remember how Jesus tells us to come boldly Boldly to the throne of God to find help, to get help. The enemy tries to keep us back, and he wanted to keep all of those disciples back from the cross. But you know what? John pressed past his own condemnation. He pressed past all of that, and he just went to the foot of the cross. Peter wasn't at the cross because he was consumed with his own condemnation. And if we live by the law, we die by the law. If our whole focus is how much we can do for God or how devoted we are to him or how much we love him rather than how much he does for us and how much he loves us, eventually we'll find ourselves in a pity party apart from the cross because that's what condemnation does and that's what living by the law does. And I know man. Now man's idea is to punish like crazy. That's not God's. His love draws us and calls us. Faithfulness and hard work and commitment, they are great qualities. But we can't put our trust in ourselves. We can't depend on our own efforts. Anybody tried it and been uh, disappointed in yourself at times? We can't depend on our own self-discipline to stay true to Jesus, to do everything we think we should do. I can remember telling the Lord one time, this is too hard. You know why? Because I was in self-effort. I didn't know how to lean on the Lord. I didn't know how to lean in his grace. I I didn't know how. All I knew was that I have learned, and I'm learning and learning and learning. You know, it sounds so spiritual to make vows about our commitment to God, but you know what? Vows won't keep us at the foot of the cross. Only love will. Keeping ourselves in the love of God is the way to end well. John filtered everything through God's love for him. Everything. Problems couldn't stop him. Condemnation and guilt couldn't stop him. Threats couldn't stop him. Fear couldn't stop him. He was drawn to Jesus because he had a habit of letting love lead him. Letting the love of God lead him and and God's love for him lead him. I remember one time the Lord told me this. Because I would get so upset with myself at just how many times I would just felt like I was messing up, not doing what I thought he wanted me to do. And he told me, he said, I'm not looking at how many times you fall. He said, I'm looking at will you let me help you up again. He said, I'm not concerned with how many times you fall, but will you let me help you up again? Because see, if I stay down, then I stay under the law and I stay under condemnation and I stay under regret and I stay under self-loathing and all of those things. 
But if I will humble myself and get my eyes off myself and begin to just look up to the only one who can fix me anyway and lift my hand to the hands that are extended to me, then you know what? He can do something and he can change us and he can help us and he can bring us out of that pit that maybe we dug for ourselves and fell into. But the only way he can lift us up out of it is to look to him and to look to his love and know that his love never fails. And that he never rejects us and that his mercies are new every morning. He is looking. His hand is outreached. He says, what? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He wants to come into every situation, everything in our lives. He wants to be invited in. John was drawn to Jesus because he had a habit of letting love lead. Life isn't easy at times, if y'all noticed. The problems we face are real. And for most of us, our tendency is to jump up and get to work. (laughs) We want to fix things. We want to change things. We want to fix somebody else. We're going to help them and make them okay. We want to make things happen. But sometimes we forget to let God's love lead. You know, when things are good, we're pretty good at letting, leaning on Jesus and letting his love lead us. But when painful news comes and when danger is in the mix, We want to jump off Jesus' chest and fix things. We want to get up and get into action. Okay, Jesus, you know, because sometimes you ever think Jesus doesn't fix it quite as fast as we want him to. Anybody notice that? Mm -hmm. So up we jump. That's really dumb of us, but we do it. If you've jumped up, just lay back down. Say, Jesus, (laughs) lead me. It's not wrong to do what's in our power to make things right. I'm not advocating laziness or irresponsibility. But our lives must start and end with a dependence on God. Everything we do is in dependence on Him. And He leads us to do the things we do. And so when you do it, it will be successful if He's the one leading you. He gives you the strength. He gives you the staying power. He helps you to do it. That's great. Our lives must start and end in the love and grace and mercy of God. And everything else will flow from that. What does Matthew say? Seek first the kingdom of God. It says in the Amplified, his way of doing and being. And everything else will be added to you. That's leaning on Jesus. You're seeking his way of doing and being. And from that, everything else that you're desiring, it'll be added. It'll be given. Everything will flow from that. God loves us. It's not a cliche. It's a powerful, unchanging reality that we can build our lives on. God's love for us. Sometimes we think that what is most important to our success is our effort, our work, and our ability to follow God or to have accomplishments in life. Sometimes we think that's what success is. And those things are great, but they aren't enough to sustain us through the chaos and the turmoil and the craziness of life. But the love of God is. The only way we're going to make it over the long haul is to do what seems counterintuitive. Have you ever noticed <laughs> Jesus does the opposite of what the world says? If you, if you need more, give it away. Uh, those that are first will be last. <laughs> you know? I mean, he does it backwards to the world's way, his ways. 
So his ways seem counterintuitive to what we should be doing. The first thing is to lean into Jesus' love, to sit with him, to recline on him, and to trust in him. That's the first place to start and to end. Let's let love lead our lives. And you know what? We'll end well. Father, we just thank you that we're not going to end well by our own efforts. But, Father, we will end well by leaning on you. And I tell you what, it's never too late to start leaning. Never too late. And even when we find ourselves jumping up, it's never too late to lean again. Father, you never condemn us. Nothing separates us from your love. Your love for us. And you invite us into this beautiful love relationship to lean on you, to hear, to listen, to find your heartbeat, to find and know you, Lord. And it just comes by leaning, by listening, by getting into your word and just letting you fill us with life and joy and peace. Lord, I thank you tonight for the grace from you that we'll become leaners, (laughs) leaners on you, fully dependent, not on ourselves, but on you, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that even we need you to help us to lean. And so, Father, we just give you our lives and our hearts and we say, Lord, we want to be leaners. We want to lean on you and live life from that place, led by your love. We thank you for doing that in our lives, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.